The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Eikin. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Fabian Wonder. Mr. Fabian Wonder is the director of the Health and Wellness Office at Hostos Community College and also founder of Wonder Counseling, a mental health practice that incorporates walk and talk therapy in addition to the traditional office-based treatment approach. He has been working as a social worker for over 17 years and is licensed in the state of New York. Questions about healthy relationships often arise in the journey of healing from narcissistic abuse. How do we rebuild trust and believe that healthy relationships are possible? How can we ensure our new relationships don't mirror the imbalances of our past ones? In today's episode, we'll tackle these topics head-on, answering questions about emotional support, equality and intimacy. But before diving into my chat with Fabian, I'd like to touch on a topic close to many of our hearts, the challenges of receiving and providing emotional support after enduring narcissistic abuse. Why, as survivors, do we often find it so tough to accept emotional support in healthy relationships? Here are 10 reasons why. First, trust issues. Narcissistic abuse involves betrayal, manipulation and deceit. This erodes trust in others, making it hard to believe someone can be there for you without hidden motives. The second one I have here is fear of vulnerability. Opening up about personal experiences, especially traumatic ones, can make one feel exposed and vulnerable. There may be a fear that revealing your feelings will be used against you, as it might have been in the past. The third reason I have here is invalidation of feelings. So narcissistic abusers frequently invalidate the emotions of others, making others doubt their perceptions and feelings. This can lead to a hesitancy to share emotions with others out of fear others will invalidate us again. The fourth reason I have here is shame and guilt. Many survivors internalize the abuse and blame themselves. We might feel ashamed of what we endured, making seeking support or discussing our experiences difficult. The fifth reason here I have is fear of being a burden. We might feel we shouldn't burden others with our problems, especially if the narcissistic abuser made us feel like our needs or feelings were troublesome or irrelevant. Number six is disconnection from emotions. Some of us cope by disconnecting from our emotions. This makes it difficult to recognize when we need support or to articulate our feelings to others. Number seven is anticipation of negative reactions. After enduring negative, hostile or dismissive reactions from the abuser, we might anticipate similar responses from others, even if it's not the case. Number eight over-independence. To protect ourselves, we might develop a strong sense of independence, feeling that we can only rely on ourselves. This can make seeking or accepting support challenging. Number nine is past rejection. If we had tried to open up about the abuse before and we were met with disbelief, minimization or dismissal, naturally we might be hesitant to seek support again. And number ten, the final one, Complex PTSD, 
Narcissistic abuse can lead to complex PTSD, which encompasses a range of symptoms, including difficulty with interpersonal relationships, emotional regulation, and trust. So these were all the reasons why we as survivors might often find it's so tough to accept emotional support in healthy relationships. And on the flip side, I was wondering why might we struggle to give that same support to others after what we have been through. Again, I have listed 10 reasons why this might be happening. And the number one here I have is emotional exhaustion. Navigating the aftermath of abuse requires a lot of emotional energy. This often leads to emotional fatigue, making it difficult to have enough emotional bandwidth to support others. And this is why taking care of ourselves first is so important so we can be there for others if needed. The number two here is protective mechanisms. So to guard against further harm, we might develop protective mechanisms such as emotional withdrawal or distancing. And if we are very emotionally withdrawn, engaging on a deep emotional level with others is naturally challenging. Number three here is fear of overstepping. Given that boundaries were likely disrespected or violated during the abuse, we might become hypervigilant about not overstepping others' boundaries. And this might lead to hesitancy in offering support for fear of doing more harm or overstepping someone's boundaries. Number four is triggers and flashbacks. So hearing about someone else's struggles or trauma can be triggering, of course. It might evoke painful memories, flashbacks or feelings, making it hard to stay present and provide support. Number five is lack of role models. And what I mean by this is that if our main relationships have been with narcissistic individuals, we might not have had positive role models to teach us how to actually give emotional support healthily. Number six is self-doubt and invalidation. This can be a big one. So we might doubt our perceptions and emotions if we have been consistently invalidated or gaslighted. This can make us hesitant to offer advice or support to others, fearing we might get it quote-unquote, wrong. And number seven is negative beliefs. So the narcissistic abuser might have implanted beliefs such as you're selfish, you're incapable of caring for others, or you always make things worse. Over time, we might internalize these messages and this can impact our confidence in providing support. Of course, if we think that we always make things worse or we are selfish or that we are incapable of caring for others, you know, we might be more hesitant to provide support. Um, number eight is disconnection from emotions. So as a defense mechanism, we might have learned to disconnect from our emotions to survive the abuse. This disconnection can make it challenging to resonate with or understand others' feelings. Number nine is fear of dependency. Offering support can bring two people closer and if closeness and dependency were previously used against us as tools of manipulation or control, we might be wary of fostering such connections again. And this can be actually very unconscious. Like we might say to ourselves and say out loud that we want to foster connections, healthy connections and be in a healthy relationship, but maybe our unconscious mind is fearing this dependency and fearing that closeness and dependency will be used against us again as a tools of manipulation and control. And number 10 
I have again here the complex PTSD. Because of course, if we have complex PTSD, uh, it includes symptoms like avoidance, emotional numbness, and difficulties in interpersonal relationships, and this can influence our capacity to support others. So here you have it. I just wanted to list first the 10 reasons why we might be struggling to accept emotional support in healthy relationships, and then 10 reasons why we might struggle to give that same support to others after what we have been through. And now let's get into the interview with Fabian Wonder. As a survivor of narcissistic abuse, I sometimes struggle with receiving emotional support from others or providing emotional support to those in need. How can I work on building my capacity capacity to give and receive emotional support in a healthy and effective way? Sure, that's a really important question. I think uh, as a person who is a survivor of narcissistic abuse, I think it's important to be comfortable with, um, you know, people around you and people who are are there to support you. Uh, sometimes people have good intentions to help you and support you, but they're just not sure how to do that in a healthy manner. And uh, it's good to also be aware of the way you're responding and feeling when um, someone is kind of there for you and and trying to to offer some support to you. Or if you are uh, trying to be there to offer someone else that kind of uh, support, uh, even being a survivor and going through those experiences, sometimes it triggers some memories when someone else is sharing a story about um, how they have been experiencing a unhealthy narcissistic relationship you know i would say um it's really important to um just listen attentively and actively to you know your friend or partner whoever is talking about their experiences it's really important to be non-judgmental uh and also not um try to offer solutions um, you know, it's really important to just kind of be there and listen and, and be supportive and, and asking questions is, is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything I can do to be a better support? And sometimes it really is just listening to someone, um, go, go through those experiences, uh, without giving advice, you know, which is really hard not to do sometimes, <laughs> I know as a clinician, uh, I work with survivors of intimate partner violence. And uh, so often I hear um, stories about uh, unhealthy relationships. And I just want to jump in and say, hey, you need to leave this person. This is really bad for you. Um, and, and really trying to push them to 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 get out of that relationship. But uh, what that's doing, it's actually having an opposite impact. I'm not empowering them to do you know, to take control of their own lives and make their own decisions. And oftentimes a person who is a survivor or any kind of abuse loses control and power. And the last thing you want to do is take more power and control away from that person. So the way you empower someone is just listen, support, and and really just let them know about, you know, asking them really, how can I help? How can I support? Uh, how can I be a, a friend to you at this point? Mm, yeah, makes sense. Why does it empower someone when you just offer, you know, your listening ear? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with um, that person maybe fe feeling judged and feeling uh, fearful to kind of open up or ashamed 
to open up about their experiencing uh, experiences. They might feel guilty about it and and feel you know silly that they're or you know kind of strange that they're in this relationship that they didn't expect to be in. And and really a lot of it is just feeling judged. So when you know they're talking to someone and they're offering that kind of support and listening uh, just to their experiences and the stories, it helps them feel that okay, you know. This is something that I'm going through. This is someone who's just listening to me. They're not going to judge me. And it feels good to just get that out of your system and, and kind of get those those thoughts out of your head. Um, and and it, sometimes speaking it out loud also makes you feel like, you know, it's okay. You know, uh, it, you know, I'm, 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 you know, surviving this situation and it's not my fault. So that that's why just having just listening is is great support for someone going through any kind of um, abuse. Mm, okay, yeah. What what advice do you have for someone who finds themselves in a situation where they have established that okay, this person who is emotionally very supportive, I'm supporting me also the right way, so not just you know offering advice all the time and actually listening to you, and so that, uh, that you are so you have also established that okay, this person is trustworthy because you know time has passed and they haven't you know shown any signs of mistrust and like you. There is like proof that okay I, I trust this person but you still notice yourself being really like every time they offer their emotional support you I don't know if you feel so you um I don't want to be too specific because then it might uh, not relate to so many people but you get some kind of negative emotions when you do receive emotional support how can someone in a situation like that uh work on you know resolving this mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a good question i think um it's important to understand like you know what is happening there so you have a friendship or partnership where uh the person is trustworthy is emotionally supportive but you're still feeling kind of uncomfortable with opening up for some reason you have these uncomfortable feelings and you don't know why you know you're having those feelings right and i think that's something that you have to kind of dig deep into uh and understand that it you know kind of make making that connection as to why is it um you know your experience uh as a child with your with your parents or caretakers uh is it you know your experiences um with your partners that that caused and created this this um uncomfortable feeling and i think you know it's really important to be honest with with that partner you know especially if you feel that you can trust that person just you know taking it at your own pace and saying you can say to that person look you know i'm opening up but it still feels doesn't feel fully comfortable you know and i'm still feeling a little uh strange about it um and you know being honest about the way you feel understanding that it's not your fault you know which is really important um so you know trying to take away that culpability feeling that it, you did something wrong because you're not able to feel fully happy about kind of opening up uh, even though you, you the partner is trustworthy understand it's not your fault it's your experiences in life that that made you feel this way and you know you you take you do it the best you can by you know slowly Pace, you know, one step at a time, uh, again, offering that partner information and saying, look, this is where I am right now. This is what I feel comfortable with. 
And, um, you know, I, I'm going to work on this uh, to just really get better and better about opening up. But it, at the end, understanding that it's not the uh, person's fault. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, that's a good advice. Um, then what do you think? What are some warning signs to watch out for that may indicate that emotional support is not being provided or received in a healthy way? Yeah, I think some signs are... Um, if the person isn't really listening, uh, but more they're kind of, you know, giving you advice. And and, and I think, you know, sometimes, it's, again, it's not in, in a, in a uh, harmful way sometimes uh, that the emotional support is not provided. It's just sometimes people don't know how to provide emotional support in a healthy, in a healthy way. So I think um, if the person isn't really listening to you, if you're not feeling heard when you kind of express what you're going through, the person is kind of you feel like the person's being judgmental um, to you. Uh, if the person is kind of saying, oh, well, you know, you should do this or you should do that, um, you know, just leave. There's no reason you need to be there. You're being dumb. They're, they're, they're kind of now, you know, criticizing you. Um, and, and it may be in a in a intention their intention may not be bad you know they probably care love you and want you out of this unhealthy situation but um the person going through it doesn't really feel that heard and listened to and supported so um you know in those situations sometimes um saying to that person directly uh the friend that you're trying to talk to or or family member that you know you understand they're trying to be supportive, but you don't feel supported when they're kind of not not just listening to you and, and, and giving you kind of different advices and, and suggestions or, or kind of criticizing you. You might feel criticized by the other person that's supposed to be listening to you. So it's important that you um, express that to, to the person that is uh, the listener or the receiver in that end. Let's say you 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 had a difficult day and or or um, you know something bad happened to you and you feel like your partner should be that person to listen to you, and as you're talking to them, they're kind of you know on their phone or they're um, you know not really listening to you, just kind of saying okay and then just telling you about their own issues uh, or their own things that they wanted to share, but really. You know, signs you're not feeling supported is um, you just don't feel like listen to listen to, you know, and, you know, it, it does come sometimes again unintentionally where that partner is just mind is not ready to listen to what someone else is going through and they're they have their own things in mind. So it, it's important to um, set some time, you know, aside and set some, you know, um, almost boundaries and rules with your partner to say, look, you know, let's put our phones away. I wanted to talk to you about something. I really want you to listen to me uh, and be here and be attentive. Um, and if that person is still unable to do that, then that's really not, um, you know, fair to the other partner. Uh, and they have to kind of reevaluate that that friendship and, and see what, what they can do differently. Because, um, you know, if someone's opening up and they're feeling the ability that they want to trust that partner, um, you really need to kind of have those conversations and sometimes even set a time and say, look, 
you know, let, let's, let's, uh, let's get on, on a, you know, let's get together at one o'clock. I just want to talk to you, put our phones away, put our gadgets away. And, and, and uh, these are things I just wanted to kind of get off my, my chest. You really want to like, uh, I always say this uh, a lot is really, and I've heard this said many times is really, you want to listen to understand what someone's going to not listen to respond. And you also want to really clarify that you understand what they're saying to you. So one technique that I've used in the past is mirroring, which I always encourage relation people in relationships to use is really uh, hearing what that other person's saying and repeating it back to them uh, to make sure you understood what they're saying to you. Um, and, and so the other person feels like they're being heard or maybe what that other person saying is not being understood by you, right? So it's just say, you know, checking in, is this what you you mean? Is this what's going on? This is what I'm I'm hearing from you. This is what I'm understanding. Is that right? Checking in with that partner to making sure that what they're trying to communicate, uh, you're actually receiving that the same way. Because uh, words are, 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 you know, can be used in tones and different body languages, all these things, you know, come into play. So you want to make sure you, that person feels heard and you can say to that person, is that what you meant? Um, you know, is this helpful? You know, kind of having that just the clarification uh, to make sure that you do understand what they're coming across to you. And also as a person who wants to be supportive, you can always just ask, you know, is this, you feel this is helpful. My, you feel like I'm being supportive to you. Um, is there anything else I can do to kind of, you know, support you? Uh, and someone might just say, no, I just want you to sit next to me. You know, <laughs> they may not want to talk about certain things. <laughs> and just sitting next to someone makes them feel supported enough. And that's fine. Right. As you mentioned earlier, someone may not be ready to fully, you know, kind of open up about certain things or um, feel that discomfort. So that's okay. You know, you want to create a safe space where the person could just sit there and just feel supported by being next to someone. Yeah. That can be really healing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, then as a survivor of narcissistic abuse, I want to ensure that my relationships are built on a foundation of equality and respect. How can I work on building equality in my relationships? Yeah, I think uh, it's really important that there is equality in the relationship. You know, I think uh, any relationship you get into, it should be, you know, 50-50 in a way, or sometimes it's 60-40 and 60-40 the other time. You know, we, there's got to be that, um, you know, trust on both ends. There has to be sacrifice on both ends. Uh, there has to be kind of agreements and conversations. Uh, people sometimes think that just because something something might be assumed uh, in a relationship. So I think uh, building that trust and um, having conversations when you feel like someone is taking advantage of you um, and that other person may or may not realize they're taking advantage of you, or maybe they have these cultural expectations of, of a partner, that's important to kind of have those conversations uh, about. And if if that person or the partner is not uh, receiving it or, or agreeing with it, then you have to make that decision. Do you want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't respect you in that way or expects you to kind of, you know, put in a lot more than, than you get out of that relationship? Because I think 
you know, th there's certain things that some people are good at and other people and other partners are good at other things and that's fine, but there should be a conversation and there should be um, opportunities to, ha to have that continuous dialogue of, I feel, you know, I'm doing too much, you know, in this home or in, with this family and you're, I need help in this area. Um, you know, th there's got to be continued because it's going to constantly move as as different things happen, right? Um, so I think having an open dialogue and continuous dialogue is important. Um, and and if that, again, if that person is not listening and it's not being supportive and is not willing to move on change in certain areas that you need that support, then you have to reevaluate your your relationship with, with that person. Mm, okay, so to me, it sounds like that the best way to work on building equality in relationships is really open communication so first well first of all knowing what does equality and respect look like to like how how do those two things look like to you um what they look yeah and like that you have to be sure that you know kind of what are your needs when it comes to equality and respect and then just opening a dialogue and communicating about it and and then, well, depending on what they say and respond, then there might be a time that you have to re, re like rethink about the relationship. But yeah, is is that am I am I um, understanding you correctly? See, I'm I'm using yeah. your technique, by the way. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing great. You're doing great. No, I I definitely agree. You know, and I think that it, again, it's important to have that open, continuous dialogue with with your friend or partner, um, and, and really, you know understanding what expectations people have you know oftentimes people get in relationships and don't really have those conversations it could be financial it could be you know responsibilities in the home it could be you know responsibilities you know outside the home or with the family or with parenting a lot of times people get into relationships and they don't even have like those just basic conversations about you know Am I expected to do this? Are you expected to do that? And and culture plays into this as well. There's cultural norms there. People grow up in different backgrounds where, um, you know, something might be expected of the other uh, based on gender, et cetera. So those are really important discussions to have and to continuously have because sometimes one partner might feel like they're, they're pulling too much and there is not equality there and I'm doing overwhelmed. The other partner may not even realize or friend may not even realize that that they're not doing their part, you know, and that's before things get really uh, to the point where uh, things blow up. You want to kind of have those conversations uh, instead of kind of arguments. Yeah. Uh, then what do you think, what are some red flags to watch out for that may indicate that a relationship is not equal or is becoming imbalanced? Yeah, I think if you, you know, one partner feels like really stressed and overwhelmed with everything that they're doing on their end and they ask for support and they're not receiving it, um, they're being ignored. You know, those are real kind of clear red flags uh, the person is being dismissive or, you know, says they're going to do something. They don't do it. You know, it's just and you're constantly having to kind of bring it up over and over again and it's not being resolved. You know, those are some just red flags. I think um, if the other person is just constantly making excuses and saying, well, I do this and that and, you know, but they're not really listening to what you're going through and what you're experiencing and what you need. 
you know, that's a red flag in itself. So I think it's important to kind of have conversations and that, you know, people take action and accountability for, for themselves. And um, if the other person isn't doing that, then those are some red flags. I think um, actions to me always speak louder than words and uh, people can say, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And I'll do this, but they're not really making those changes. Then they're not valuing you as an individual. And they're also not valuing your, your, your needs and your um, feelings. And that's, uh, I think always something to pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, then what do you think as a survivor of narcissistic abuse, I sometimes struggle with intimacy in my relationships. How can I work on building healthy intimacy and trust in my relationships? Yeah, I think intimacy is uh, something that um, needs to be developed over time with a partner. And I think um, part of that is in our earlier discussion about trust. Uh, in order to build intimacy, you have to feel that you can trust your partner and be open about feelings and, um, you know, experiences and that that partner will be, you know, not non-judgmental, you know, and I think that's really important in a relationship that you can open up about certain things and that you can feel that the person's not going to judge you and will accept you and support you. So in order to be intimate with that person, there's got to be, uh, it's important to have some kind of a trusting relationship. Uh, also, sometimes establishing some kind of rules around intimacy is is helpful. It, it all depends because people generally don't like to talk about these things. Uh, they kind of feel like it's something that happens naturally and um, you know, and so there's less conversation. And there's things that people don't like and they do like uh, about their partners uh, when it comes to intimacy. So I think it's really important to kind of, you have to work on trust, right? Once you build that trust, I have a conversation about let's let's be open about certain things. Uh, let's talk about what I like, what I don't like, um, and what I, you know, what I'm interested, you know, what are my um, interests. Uh, and wants and having kind of an open back and forth, I think is really important uh, versus trying to kind of read that other person's mind, which generally is kind of like gambling, you know, <laughs> and hoping that, you know, I'm right or I'm, you know, I'm doing the right thing or the person is happy. And you don't know that unless you actually have those conversations. A lot of the things that people do are based on experiences. So I think, it's important to really open communication, feeling that you can have a safe space to just talk about things and how you feel. And and sometimes you you learn that someone is more interested in something else than, than just because you never had that conversation. Again, really important having those open conversations and dialogue. Fabian emphasized the crucial role of trust in fostering intimacy. For those interested in delving deeper into this topic, we offer a free course on rebuilding trust after narcissistic abuse. You can find the link to that course in the podcast notes. I feel like many might struggle opening up that 
type of conversation or having those in the first place do you have any tips kind of how to force yourself to step out on, of your comfort zone and just really engage either that you are being the one who is initiating the conversation or you are being the one who the conversation is being initiated with do you have any you know tips how to how how it could feel less uncomfortable yeah i mean look you know there, there are certain things you can do in fact you can just kind of google or go online and find like an article about how to you know have conversations about intimacy or conversations about intimacy and you know you can share with your partner look this is something that 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 i i found interesting what are your thoughts on this um and and that's kind of like maybe kind of planting the seed and then say you know i'd love to kind of i want to like just talk about certain things um let's let's again, set a time or let's 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 talk about um let, let's talk about intimacy let's get into this conversation um and and of course and when i say set it set a time i think the reason for that is so both people are comfortable or at least feel a little bit prepared for that conversation and um with like an article or something that um the person reads they can learn that how helpful it is and how healthy it is to have these conversations so i think by by sharing that information it kind of establishes like this is something that is really great for relationships it makes it, it helps strengthen the relationship making it even more healthy and then let's let's have a conversation uh, let's talk about it. And the beginning might be uncomfortable, right? And uh, it might be strange or, be, and a lot of that has to do with kind of cultural norms. It depends on where someone's from. Um, and that's okay. You know, um, as you get more into it and as you maybe have like a, a conversation further down the road, it becomes more and more comfortable where you can really have those um, open, safe dialogues with your partner. Or your friend mm, yeah i was just like thinking about that often uh well intimacy especially it's that naturally is a topic that comes over time you don't probably talk about intimate stuff right away and so those conversations will come over time but like some in some relationship there is relationships there is like not talks like this at all so it might feel strange to try to uh, swift shift i mean shift the culture towards more having more of these conversations like i i almost feel like it might feel like i don't know why but like not genuine like you are trying too hard like you are trying to like i don't know uh but so yeah what if someone is feeling like this like struggling with like uh, it's so awkward it's not I'm, i don't it doesn't feel genuine it's we have we have been doing okay before before this but then there is still this urge or desire that it would be nice to kind of try so yeah what do you think yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you're 100% right. I think it's important to acknowledge that it is an uncomfortable conversation. It is awkward because we generally don't talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's not like a cultural norm to kind of talk about intimacy with your partner. 
However, it could be exciting, right? To like, wow, I didn't know that. Or let's open up a conversation with each other. Um, again, first establishing the trust before you get into that conversation. But uh, when you get to that trust and you feel comfortable, it initially will be weird and awkward. And, and you're like, wow, you know, but then you start to learn more things about your partner that you didn't know before. And it makes the experience and the relationship stronger by having those open uh, conversations. So it is not a natural thing to kind of open up about because, you know, it's a taboo in certain sense, uh, culturally in different um, ways. So uh, you actually have to be intentional about initiating that conversation. And it could be um, starting with just sharing something you read, right? Uh, I was on Instagram and I read this, or on YouTube, and I saw this video, I thought this was interesting. Uh, maybe we should talk about it. Or, you know, what are your thoughts? Not even maybe you can say, what are your thoughts on this article? That mm -hmm. might kind of get that conversation going. And, um, you know, it might be easier that way. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, kind of. Uh, it's almost like you know those I'm asking for a friend you know type of thing like pulling yeah. up an article it's like gives it you know a little bit gives this distance at, mm -hmm. at first like not compared to uh, straight up asking whatever question that the article is talking about yeah. uh, from your partner so it's like yeah sneak yeah. away kind of but it could it, it is it is a way i mean but again if you can feel comfortable being direct then they might not have to do that uh but sharing an article is a way of kind of bringing facts and science into the conversation is a way of like well look there's research here and you know, people are, you know, studied relationships found that this is really healthy, you know, what are your thoughts? And in a way, it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe the person felt the same way or didn't even realize that how important in having conversations about intimacy are. So I think always, I think sharing some data, some information, something that's been studied is helpful to share with, um, share with a, a friend or a partner. Mm. Yeah. And what do you think about um, when we talk about intimacy and uh, we like someone who has survived narcissistic abuse, how important or how much does it hinder to be intimate with someone when you don't know yourself? Kind of what is that? The fact that you don't know yourself that well yet because of your experience, maybe or you come from a narcissistic family of origin and you never really developed a sense of self or maybe that mm. just got so destroyed in a relationship that you were in and you are kind of no longer don't know who you are. Mm. Uh, how much, how big of a role does that play when, you know, building healthy intimacy in a relationship? Yeah, no, I think that's a very important point that you're making is um, someone maybe, you know, has been impacted by that narcissistic abuse and um they're trying to figure out who they are as a person what they like what they don't like uh because they may have been kind of in this bubble uh, for so such a period of time and you know a lot of it is is exploration is kind of trial and error and um and learning about yourself and i think just to be you know just to understand that um, what you like one day may change 
another day, right? It's not like anything set in stone. Um, and I think just understanding that we're always evolving and changing as individuals, uh, we're maturing, uh, we, you know, we, we, you know, tend to like one type of book or one type of food, and then we change our mind and we start to get into different types of books and foods and, or, or movies, et cetera, as our, you know, minds develop and change. So it's always evolving in a sense, um, who we are as an individual. Um, and so I think it, it does take time uh, for survivors to kind of figure that out if they've been so suppressed by that um, abuser. Um, and so it's really about like building your self-worth, um, building that self-esteem, building that confidence up uh, and feeling, you know, comfortable in who you are and not to be judged. And that's, that's always difficult uh, for many people. Mm, yeah. And that sounds like that, even though you are in the process of like, well, I don't know exactly everything what I like and what I don't like or you know everything about myself but that shouldn't stop someone to build intimacy with someone else because like you said it's evolving and you can be actually honest about well you know I'm not quite sure about that that seems something that interests me maybe I'm not sure yet maybe I'm gonna change my mind but kind of trying not to be in the mindset of okay I I, I now need to like I don't know, know all the answers to who am I and what I like before I can really enter into trying to have an intimate conversation with someone else or what mm -hmm. do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with that, uh, with that statement. I think uh, we're evolving, we're always evolving and changing and we're fluid in a way. So I think it's important uh, to be okay with that and know that, no, we're not like 100% what my identity is I might not fully understand it but I, it, it'll change and it'll evolve and or may stay the same uh but we don't want to wait to figure all that stuff out <laughs> and meanwhile leave you know let your life pass you by right you want to be present and in the moment and understand that you don't have the answers and it's okay not to understand everything and understand yourself always uh but learn learn as you go along and that's that's the I think beauty and excitement about life is that things are always changing. Mm. Yeah. What do you then think? What are some warning signs to watch out for that may indicate that intimacy is becoming unhealthy or that trust is being broken? I think uh, intimacy being unhealthy is really about like not feeling happy or comfortable or safe with your partner uh, or your friend. Uh, and whether it be a gut feeling that you're having or just feeling just, you know, down after, you know, spending time with that partner, I think that's something is a, is a very significant sign to look out for if you start to feel that way. Um, and, um, you know, just paying attention to, you know, your, your body, how you feel, um, and also being able to build that, trust and that communication with that other person to express how you feel what what you don't like and what you do like and your relationship is really important and if you can't um if that doesn't exist or the friend or partner is not open to that then that's real real warning sign that 
um, you know, that person may just be very self-centered and not really care about you and your feelings and what you what you like and what you're into. And then you have to, again, reevaluate your, your situation. Fabian gave really good warning signs to watch out for that may indicate that the intimacy is becoming unhealthy. And he mentioned lack of communication and your gut feeling that something is just off or if you feel drained after being around the person. And I wanted to come up with some more warning signs that may indicate that the intimacy is becoming unhealthy. So here are eight more signs. And the first one is overdependence. So relying excessively on one person to meet all emotional, social or financial needs can signal unhealthy intimacy. And the second one I have here is lack of boundaries. So constantly sacrificing one's own needs, desires or plans for the other person or feeling obligated to share everything without any personal space can indicate a problem then we have uh, some obvious ones like control and manipulation so when one person seeks to control or manipulate the other or they're under the guise of quote-unquote caring it's a red flag and this can manifest as guilt tripping emotional blackmail or restricting access to resources and then I also wrote as the fourth Warning sign, uh, jealousy and possessiveness. So consistent or intense jealousy can be a sign of unhealthy intimacy. So if if the other person is always checking up, accusing without cause or trying to cut the other person off from friends or family, this is problematic. And the fifth one is neglecting other relationships. So if one becomes isolated from friends or family members because of the intimate relationship, it might suggest an unhealthy dynamic. Uh, and the sixth one I have here is secrecy and dishonesty. So hiding aspects of the relationship, lying or feeling like one can't be open about relationship issues with others can indicate a lack of healthy intimacy. And then we have constant drama. So a relationship characterized by continuous highs and lows, breakups and reconciliations or dramatic emotional episodes usually lacks stable intimacy. And the final one I have here is one-sided effort. So a relationship where only one party is putting in the effort, making sacrifices or trying to maintain the connection is imbalanced and usually lacks stable intimacy. Thank you so much. I think today we had some great questions and great, great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening. And thank you, Fabian Wonder, so much for coming here and uh, sharing your insight and thoughts and knowledge. It uh, it was really helpful and practical and understandable and on point. So I really want to thank you. And it's, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for inviting me back. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.